Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Well, Margot, we made it. It is our seventh season finale. Yay. Wow. Look at us. Oh, my God. (laughs) Women in STEM. Paul Rudd, look at us. Look at us as we open the hot sauce bottles. Oh my gosh. Look, we love you all. We love putting out this podcast. We love doing this research. We love all these episodes. This season coincided with some major life events. In 2022, both of us bought first homes. So if you're looking for advice on mortgage pre-approval processes while making a joke about the Fast and the Furious franchise, we're your girls. I actually refuse to dwell on that paperwork. It is deleted from my brain, but happy to, you know, lend an ear. So ask Emily for details. Before we get into today's topic, let's do a little season look back. Margot, are there any standout episodes this season for you? And did you learn something now that lives rent free in your head? Um, I think having Kara on was, you know, a rose. Are we doing like a rose and a thorn? Sure, sure. <laughs> the thorn being like something stupid and useless I learned. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think a rose would definitely be having Kara Berry on. I really, honestly, all of our guests, but I really enjoyed yes. our reality show talk, especially because I really like her podcast, Everyone's Business Fine. So um I was really delighted by that. But all of our guests this season were A plus plus, would have again tens across the board. And then my thorn. Hmm. What useless knowledge did I acquire this season? <laughs> um I think it's definitely somewhere in the Lisa Frank episode. I just like can't quite put my finger on it. What about you? So my rose was obviously our guest episodes. And then I would also add um, getting to go down memory memory lane with our uh, 
TV stars, in particular, Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, Thorn for me would probably be uh, in that Jonathan Taylor Thomas tidbit, having to learn more about Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> That's always tough. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have a lot of thorns. I mean, I got to make making the band jokes, which is like incredible. Oh, I guess sure. maybe my thorn was like having to <laughs> track Coldplay's descent into sellouthood or however you want to frame that. Like maybe that was my thorn. <laughs> like I did learn a lot of stuff about them that I was just like, ugh, now I know this. And I hope I get invited to music trivia or else it will be all for naught. Well, was that one of the episodes sponsored by Zencaster? Ding! Because then it then we got paid, and then so it wasn't necessarily all for naught. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Um, I think the other oh another thorn for me uh, was having to um, rewatch Miss Congeniality two, which just wasn't as fun as I had hoped. I think I remembered it being better than it actually was, and so that it wasn't a thorn so much as like a disappointment. Yeah, two really is as bad as you remember it to be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we learned a lot this season, and I think we are capping it off with a very exciting topic, which is the best songs of 2002, Uh, some real bangers today. I thought I'd take us back to remind you what was happening in 2002 in the music world. Um. Will you join me on this journey? <laughs> um, almost always. <laughs> okay. Well, our girl Brittany starred in the movie Crossroads. Our girl Celine Dion came back to music after a three-year hiatus because she was taking care of her sick husband to release A New Day Has Come. Kelly Clarkson became our first American Idol. Michael Jackson dangled his son blanket over that hotel balcony. <laughs> Salt and Peppa broke up, which I did not realize. Um hmm. Fergie joined the Black Eyed Peas and BMG Music acquired Zomba Music, which owned Jive Records. So Britney, NSYNC, and Backstreet Boys' label was acquired by what is now Sony BMG, which like continued the mergers we talked about a few seasons back, where now we only basically have two, three major record labels. Wow. Yes. Um, there were some other things that were kind of sad and bummers. And I was like, you know what? There's there's too much going on right now that I want to dwell on like musicians I liked dying. So uh, we will skirt past that and go into asking you if you have any particular music memories from 2002 that you're not covering in your notes. Are there is there a concert you saw? Is there a song that coincided with a part of your life? Do share. I mean, I think all of the songs that I'm going to talk about do have a little bit of resonant meaning. That's probably why I picked a lot of them. They're not really necessarily like chart toppers or well-known songs or some would even say the songs that people are known for. (laughs) So it's more of like a personal tie. But I mean, I think I mean, I talk about it later, but like the gossip folks video is like kind of my 2002, if you will, because I mean, I, I still remember parts of like the the dance of the chorus. That's how iconic that music video is to me personally. 
Um, but I think that by and large, 2002 was a very, I told you when I put together my list, I was like, this is like all of my different weird personalities kind of converging all at once, like the songs that I pick. And I think 2002 <laughs> like was like that in general, in terms of like the musical landscape, like I felt like there was such a, a from looking at this list that Billboard put together of like the best hundred songs from 2002, I I mean, each one I was like, oh, I love that song. Like we had a really hard time whittling it down to a top 20 to like even like a top seven was difficult to the point oh, where we sure. have, you know, honorable mentions. And I have very fond memories of all of these songs. What oh, about you? Absolutely. I mean, for me, it is just like you. I pick these songs because I have like good memories tied to them. Some are bigger than others. I mean, and some represent, you know, musicians that I was a big fan of at the time. And now probably wouldn't put on my favorite artist list, but, you know, meant something mm-hmm. to me at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where I think going through that list, it was a pivotal time for me because you are, we're only two months apart, but because you were born in December of 87 and I was born in February of 88, um, we are great apart. And so for me, 2002 coincides with graduating eighth grade middle school and then going into high school. So it was very like pivotal year. Um, yeah, there's just a lot going on in, in terms of like how I think my taste in music shift by, you know, based on who I'd been friends with in middle school and what I had been exposed to. And then going to a much bigger high school, new friend group, because I went to high school with almost no one from my grade school and then um, kind of going from there. So to get into it, Margot, I would love you to start if you would like. Oh, I'd love to start because I feel like my first song that I bring up is a perfect way to kick this off. So my first pick is Still Fly by Big Timers because (laughs) looking at my Gucci, it's about that time. This broke-ass anthem is just as relevant today as it was in 2002. Just listen to this other gem of a lyric. I got a quarter tank of gas in my new E-class, but that's all right because I'm going to ride. Has there ever been a more prescient analogy for influencer culture than these lyrics? This is also coincidentally, since you brought it up earlier, the song that my husband and I played when uh, our offer got accepted on our house, if that tells you anything (laughs) about us and how we feel about this song. It's kind of a shame that Birdman is a scammer and screwed over a lot of artists with Cash Money Records that ended his relationship with Manny Fresh. But let's take a moment to appreciate what we had 20 years ago. That's a really hard last part to say. (laughs) (laughs) Still Fly was the first single off of Hoodrich by the rap supergroup of Birdman and Manny Fresh, better known as Big Timers. It reached number three on the hot rap charts, number four on the hot hip hop and R&B charts, and number 11 on the hot 100. It was co-written by Birdman, a.k.a. Brian, quote-unquote, Baby Williams, and produced by Manny Fresh. And although Big Timers released three albums before Hoodrich, Still Fly is still the best-known Big Timer song as far as I know. They'd released one more album together before going their separate ways. And one kind of like narrative thread to kind of, that ties everything together for me is that there's not a ton of information like on these singles, like any sort of backstory. Um, I did look it up, though, because I was very curious and concerned that Manny Fresh and Birdman like were still beefing. But as of 2021 or as of sorry, as of 2020, um, remember when Manny Fresh did the verses uh, with Scott Storch 
um, during oh, lockdown. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So it was like an interview with, I believe, Breakfast Club where he talks about how like him and Birdman are cool and that he's like forgiven him for like screwing him over like out of a lot of money with his contracts. And Manny Fresh essentially just chalks it up as like, that's just what he was doing those times. And like I, they've gotten over it and they are still friends. But my favorite part of this whole story is when I Googled, are Birdman and Manny Fresh still? And then uh, Google auto-completed friends for me. It made me feel seen <laughs> that other people were also concerned about their friendship. So I don't think we'll ever get another Big Timers album, but we will always have Still Fly, which is just as funny and good as you remember. I think people are as concerned about that friendship as like Keenan and Kel and like, a few, <laughs> you know, they're like a few friendships from like the 90s and 2000s or super groups or what have you, where people are just like, are they, are they still there? You know, are they still talking to one another? And so right now, I feel like the only way we can know these days is like through an Instagram post when, you know, someone tags another person. So it's always nice to hear that it's all okay. So, so what you're saying is that they are the rap game Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox of friendships. Like everybody just wants to make sure they're still cool. Yes, cool. exactly. Right. Got it. Yeah. No, I feel like that's a really resonant uh, comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I'm going to go into my song for my first pick was Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World, which is like such a fucking, I mean, just the opener the acapella like if you're listening like it's just so good and With like the echo on it oh my too. god yes uh just like such a great song and i um i was re-listening to bleed american and it's a great album but like you forget how well it's aged and like it just it is one of those like I kind of found myself being like, you know, if I found this on vinyl or something like I don't buy every album on vinyl, but this is one I'd buy on vinyl because it, it is one of those like no skips. Like I really, really enjoy it. I was listening to Hear You Me earlier, like such a great album. Um, It was released in June. The song itself, though, was released in June in 2002 as the third single from Bleed American. I hate to bring it back to 9-11 because we really steered clear from a lot of that this oh, Don't worry. <laughs> I uh, have to unfortunately bring it up as well. So I'm glad that you're breaking the 9-11 ice, so to speak. Oh, God. I know. This is why I did not talk about The Rising by Bruce Springsteen. That was on my short list for a while. But like, I just was like, I can't put any more tragedy in this. Um, this album title had to be changed because it, re- it was released in t- July of 2001. Um, but later, because of the September 11th attacks, it was retitled Jimmy Eat World. Um, but eventually, they brought it back to Bleed American in 2008. But this was Jimmy Eat, or Eat World's fourth album, and really the album where they had like major mainstream success. Like Clarity, their previous album had had like some success on the alternative charts, but like nowhere near like what they saw with Bleed American. Um, the song was actually recorded in 1999 as they were about to release Clarity. And they had beef with Capitol Records at the time. Um, they were debating whether or not to release the album. And then one of the songs on the album, Lucky uh, Clarity, called Lucky Denver Mint, became a hit. And then when Lucky Denver Mint became a hit, they rushed to release the album. And so they couldn't even like think about adding it to the track listing. So it was released uh, on Bleed American. And uh, the song did okay on the Billboard 100. It was only, it charted at 75, but it was number two on the alternative chart. I was kind of surprised. I remembered it being kind of everywhere. 
um, and had a great music video directed by Tim Hope, who's best known for directing Trouble by Coldplay, which he won an MTV Video Music Award for. And uh, he does a lot of kind of like mixed media videos, which like this one has stop motion and CGI, rotoscoping, and then they're performing in various locations. It's all very early 2000s, uh, but really still a banger. No further things. Okay, well, now we're going to go into the Nelly portion of the show with Hot in Here, a definitive song of summer and also a classic. I guarantee you Nelly still makes a nice chunk of change off of those residues from that song because it still gets played all the time as if it was just recently released. This first single off of Nelly's sophomore album, Nellyville, was released just in time for summer, May 7th of 2002, and was written by Nelly and the Neptunes, as well as produced by the Neptunes, and uses a sample from Chuck Brown's Bustin' Loose, and Chuck Brown is also credited as a writer on the song. Most, he is like the godfather of go-go. Um, he is one of the most important musicians to have ever come out of D.C. When you go to D.C., there are murals of Chuck Brown everywhere. Anyway, had to make a little oh, really? pause there. Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, very About big his deal. Murals all over. I didn't realize he was from DC. Yeah, very important. Well, the hook is sung by Nelly's then label mate, Danny Stevenson, and Hot in Here received over 700,000 streams on AOL's Music First Listen feature following its debut. How do you like that for a 2002 sentence? Oh, I got a VH1 reference that'll blow your mind a few songs later. <laughs> The song was Nelly's first number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 and also in Canada. It peaked at number four in the UK. The song was the inaugural winner for the Grammy Award for Best Male Rap Solo Performance at the Grammy Awards in February of 2003. And did you know there are two versions of this music video? There's the one that we all know and love where we're in the club and Carmen... Carmelo Anthony is there and Cedric the Entertainer is the DJ for some reason, I'm assuming because of jokes. But there's also another music video. And I guess it was just because it was too raunchy to show in Europe, but it was shot in front of the St. Louis Arch and it was only shown in MTV Euro, which I don't recall seeing. But if you have seen this version of this music video, our DMs are open. What a time. I mean, I mean, this this song was everywhere. I mean, 2002 was surprising to me only because... I feel like the song has always been out. Yes. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it just sort of follows you. Everywhere. I mean, even Nelly can't escape it, even if he wanted to, which I'm sure he doesn't want to. But didn't he dance to this song or like a remix of it when he was on Dancing with the Stars? Eileen well, would know the answer to this. Eileen, let us know. Feel free to comment <laughs> on our Instagram post. <laughs> Um, my Nelly pick, because we had to both pick the, you know, lead tracks from Nellyville. I have Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. It was released on July 25th, 2002 as the follow-up to Hot in Here or Hot in Her, however you enjoy pronouncing it. <laughs> and as the first single from Kelly Rowland's debut solo album, Simply Deep, um, which also came out in 2002. And it contains a sample of Patti LaBelle's 1983 song, Love, Need, and Watch You. And so the bridge in Dilemma where Kelly sings, Nelly, I need you, Nelly, I. You know, that's actually um, in the Patti LaBelle song. Um, she says, baby, I need you. But that's where the reference comes in. It went on to peak at number one on the U.S. Billboard 100 for 10 consecutive, non-consecutive weeks. But it, and it actually replaced hot in here on the chart and won an award for best rap slash sung performance and was nominated for record of the year at the 45th Grammy Awards. 
An accompanying music video was directed by Benny Boom, who is known for directing the Tupac biopic, All Eyes on Me, and directed videos for Nicki Minaj, P. Diddy, Keisha Cole, a- Akon, and 50 Cent. And it was filmed on Colonial Street on the Universal lot. And Margot, pop quiz, <laughs> what is this neighborhood street known for being? Where? What TV show do you think it was featured on? Desperate Housewives? You are correct. It was Wisteria Lane. Nice. The most notorious thing in this video, however, oh my god, is, yeah, <laughs> is Kelly Rowland texting Nelly using Excel on a Nokia phone. Nelly has gone on to defend the use of Excel in an okay. interview <laughs> at, on a talk show in 2016, explaining it was used during the time for texting. Which I don't. That does not I don't, make that's sense. Not, no, that does not ring true with our reality. How are you texting an Excel sheet, sir? I explain. Don't, I explain don't know. that. It's I, a, <laughs> I don't think a BlackBerry works that way. No. Well, then this wasn't even a BlackBerry, Margot. This was, was like mainly no, any device, but like <laughs> right. But it's like I would say a BlackBerry because it's like the most businessy of the bunch. I and so see, maybe yeah, you yeah. could export a spreadsheet hypothetically i mean who the I fuck knows but who knows? it is indefensible just say it's a goof and move on uh roland admitted to not knowing what excel was which uh <laughs> microsoft's official twitter account for excel uh responded on twitter um but like okay microsoft why does kelly roland need to know about v lookups like she is just a recording artist like she is never going to have to do any sort of excel wizardry so <laughs> Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Really, the dilemma in this song is like the dilemma over Kelly Rowland using Excel to text, I would say, um, rather than, you know, what's what they talk about in the song. But it's still a banger. Enjoy it every time I hear it. Um, Good stuff. I mean, I think this was really Kelly Rowland's biggest song. Like she had a hit or two after this, but I think this to this day is her biggest song ever. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that they didn't sure. keep their own little um, jaw rule, Ashanti, oh baby, yeah baby um, <laughs> relationship <laughs> going because I felt like the song was such a success, but maybe Nelly thought he was better off solo, but I, I feel like they could have had another hit in them, but we didn't go that way. Yeah. And now we'll never know what it would have been like. Never. And yeah, I couldn't even, the the most recent Kelly Rowland song that I could name is that she did a remix of finally. And like, that's the most, I mean, I I honestly couldn't name anything else besides dilemma and that song for you. Although I know she's recorded more music. I knew her song there. She has a song called stole that was on her first album too. But like, other than that, I I can't think of anything else. We love you, Kelly. (laughs) We love you, Kelly. We we think that you and Michelle Williams deserve better in your solo careers. If that's what you truly want. Agreed, agreed, agreed. <laughs> well, I'm talking about truly want. This band would later break up. <laughs> uh, fell in love with a girl from White Stripes. This is their second single off of their third studio album, White Blood Cells. Uh it was released in 2001, and this peaked at number 21 on the this chart that we really love, the U.S. bubbling under 100 oh singles. Oh, my God. Who is making – who at Billboard is, like, making things in the kitchen and just decides that, like, they're going to start using all sorts of cooking analogies to talk about 
heat seekers bubbling under 100 like uh, anyway it's like technically wouldn't this be like 121 you know like it's 21 <laughs> outside of the top 100 hits so whatever anyway I, i'm not trying to do math i'm just saying that even as someone who doesn't like to do math there's a little hole here in this logic <laughs> It was also the band's first single to reach alternative songs charts, peaking at number 12. The song is remarkably short, clocking in at just under two minutes. It's a minute 50. And it was well-received by critics. Probably because it was critically well-received, the single broke them into the mainstream, getting them compared to the Ramones, and got everyone speculating on whether or not they were siblings or husband or wife or, like, what's their deal. They were husband and wife. <laughs> The music video was famously directed by Michel Gondry, but if Jack White got his original wish, it was supposed to be directed by Mark Romanek. He'd just come off of directing Beck's Devil's Haircut, a video that Jack really liked, but the record label thought Gondry had directed Devil's Haircut, mixing it up with a different Beck video that Gondry had done called Deadweight, classic mix-up, so they hired Gondry instead. But it ended up being like a happy accident because the Lego animation for this music video is probably what push the oh, song over sure. the edge for sure it was definitely agree. the how i found the white stripes the first time so the lego animation of this video begins with gondry's real life son playing with legos and then it was shot frame by frame with each frame having the lego bricks rebuilt sometimes in a complex manner to make it seem like it was an actual shot and then formed together to give the illusion of motion the video mostly consists of red white and black color that's like the white stripes signature color and the White Stripes couldn't strike a deal with Lego, though, so they had to buy a large amount of Lego boxes for the music video. Turns out the White Stripes did really try to get in contact with Lego Group in hopes of having a small Lego set packaged with each single of the record, one that could be built into Lego versions of Jack and Meg. But Lego Group refused, saying, quote, we don't market our product to people over the age of 12. <laughs> Joke's on them, because how many adult Lego people do you know? And now they, they do make Legos for adults. Like you can That's buy true. those really elaborate um, Lego sets that like adults can like have framed or put in a, a picture box or whatever. Like they have that bouquet one that's really pretty that people really like to make. So, yeah, I mean, this was obviously a long time ago before someone else was making the decisions at Lego. But it's just interesting to see some of this like groundwork that Jack White now does in Third Man Records, like having a little surprise with every record that you get, which is exactly what happens when you are a part of the uh, Third Man Vault, which is like a, a record subscription service. And so every month you get like a shirt with like a real special pressing of an old, either like an old re-release of some of Jack White's old projects or from different bands. And you get really interesting stuff. So it's in, it's fun to see that he was always sort of thinking this way with like an angle to marketing which i find to be kind of impressive but yeah lego your loss and this music video was definitely groundbreaking and it was nominated for four different awards uh at the mtv music video awards video of the year breakthrough video best visual effect and best editing which yes i'm sure editing that was very Ooh. tricky but yeah, this is the beginning of the White Stripes explosion that would end in a canceled tour in 2008 that I'm obviously not bitter about or holding on to at all. So, <laughs> of course not. No. Of course not. No, but I did get to see them on, I think it was Elephant in 2003, and that was a really, really great show. And I'm, I feel very grateful to have seen them while they were still a band, but I've also seen Jack White a whole bunch of times since, so... 
He is one of those musicians I still haven't seen to this day. And he's always been wow. on my, my, yeah, he's always been on my concert list. It's just like, I've been out of town, like, you know, or so concert tickets were sold out. So uh, if you're looking for someone to go with in the future, I would love to go see Jack White. Highly recommend even catching him if he's playing with the Tours, which oh, we, right. when we yeah. went to go see the Tours at the Fox like a couple of years ago. We were like some of the youngest people there, which felt really cool. So that's why yeah. <laughs> an added incentive to go see him. But a rarity. Yeah, days. you're about to miss him on tour because we're going to see him on Monday and he's going to oh, be yeah. playing here on Saturday, I think, or tomorrow. Anyway, he's going to be playing up here and the kills are opening and it kills me that I am going to miss that because I really love the kills. But that is a topic for a different time. Well, I feel like it makes sense for me to go into my kind of adjacent song because I feel like the White Stripes got really um, classified in that garage rock revival in the early 2000s. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously went on to do kind of more than that and went, you know, past that, but it was very easy to put them in that category, along with the Hives, who I picked because they released Hate to Say I Told You So in 2002, or so I thought. So it was the first single from their studio album, their second studio album, Veni Vidi Vicious. And though it was first released as a single in December of 2000, it didn't get much airplay outside of Europe. And even there, it was kind of lesser known until it was re-released in several countries in 2002. So the band had been around since 1993, and they they had done okay in Sweden, where they're from, and around Europe. But the breakthrough in their career really came when Alan McGee, the founder and head of Creation Records, basically the label responsible for putting Britpop on the map, and in particular, Oasis saw the video for Hate to Say I Told You So on German TV and decided to sign the band to his newly formed Pop Tones label. Pop Tones released a best of compilation of the Hive songs from their first two albums titled Your New Favorite Band in 2001. And that record would go up to number seven on the UK album charts. And their kind of album and song getting, you know, more airplay all of a sudden in 2001, 2002 coincided with this garage revival I was just talking about, which worked out for them since that was their thing. But their look was very different from a lot of these bands. They wore black on black suits with white ties, always wore the same thing. They very much differed from like the skinny jeans and messy hair that a lot of their contemporaries had. And fun fact, they credit all their songwriting uh, for their songs to Randy Fitzsimmons, who is credited um, on those songs, but is actually a fictional character that they claim discovered the hives in the nineties and told them to change their sound. Basically oh, this God. character is to them as Horatio Hornblower is to the beastie boys. Like uh, I, there's no other comparison I can think of. I mean, it's giving a little gorillas. Like we don't need oh, these for sure. stories. Like, please do not give me a manifesto on characters that explain your band's origin story. It's fine. Just, Just play your music, please. I beg you. Don't give me more backstory. Um, That's all I really have to say about this song. It's still a banger. Lots of fun to listen to. The hypes, yeah, kind of disappeared. I mean, they're still around and they still are a band. But I feel like after the mid-2000s, I think their follow-up got a bit of airplay. But, like, they they definitely were not one of the bands that, you know, continued to be as famous as they were around that time. Weren't they in an iPod commercial? Like, not them, but, like, the song? Jet had that. So Jet was, are you no, going to be my girl? No, not Jet. Are you sure there wasn't a Hives? Vines. They were in, 
the vines. Oh, yeah. Ride with you. me. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. See, I mean, maybe that's why they didn't have the longevity. I got them confused with the vines. I think <laughs> when you're like these like mid-tier bands, unfortunately, the sa- at the same time, record labels are putting out exact copies of your mid-tier band and only one, if you're lucky, gets to survive. Sorry, I didn't mean to make it dark, but that's just <laughs> the nature. That, that's just like what I've – it's the pattern I've noticed as we've like covered more and more bands. Oh, for is that, sure. Like, you know, I mean, I unfortunately – not to bring it back to my Thor and Coldplay, but like uh, when they had that big gap between albums, like a bunch of other bands that sort of sounded like them came out and were like doing their sound like better than them. So There, there was a great article and this was like – came out maybe five years ago. And it was about several bands that came out between the years of around like 2002, 2003 to like 2006 or seven that were kind Mm -hmm. of like lost bands. Like they were big, they had released CDs and stuff, but they were coming in just as like the market was shifting to iTunes and the singles market. And so, you know, once that happened, they were kind of lost along the way. And so they had, you know, a big song here and there, but they're not, they don't get the airplay on like a mix station or whatever the way some of these other or CBS, <laughs> the way that some of these other bands do. Um, I'll have to find that at one point, but it was a really interesting article. Ooh, yeah, we should do one hit indie wonders next season. Mm, I like that a lot. Well, someone who is not a one hit wonder whatsoever is Usher. Usher here proves that trilogies aren't just for movies with his quote-unquote you, the capital letter U, not Y-O-U, singles. You remind me, you got it bad, and capping it off with what I'm going to be talking about right now, you don't have to call. All of these, though, are by and large a prequel to, yeah, by far and away, his biggest single ever, not to mention Confessions being a absolute fucking monster hit a few years later. But that's a tale for a different time. You Don't Have to Call was written and produced by the Neptunes, truly on a huge role in 2002. Listen to our Neptune Scott Storch episode, please. It's the third single off of 8701, and You Don't Have to Call peaked at number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 single charts and in the U.K. as well. It was released, though, with a double A-side with I, I Need a Girl Part 1 by Diddy, and I bring up the Diddy of it all only to cap off this little You Don't Have to Call uh, brief interlude. Uh, is because Diddy was featured in the music video uh, as in Usher's posse for You Don't Have to Call. And the music video is like not remarkable for anything other than Usher's great dance moves, which if you had been paying attention to him any other time before this, you already know he's a great singer dancer and you got it bad. I mean, he dances in the rain. What more could you possibly want? But yeah, after this, Usher only goes up, 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 and then he starts doing Ushbucks, and then it all comes down, down, down. And now you can catch him on Peloton, I can tell you that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. 
because that's where Ooh. I I caught him. <laughs> he he does come up quite a bit on like the 2000s hip hop rides for sure. Oh yeah, no, he has like a, a Usher's signature class or whatever. It was like a cardio dance class with him and Allie Love and some other gal, but he was fully checking out slash hitting on Allie Love. And the funniest part, though, was that at the very end, they do like a little quick stretch. And I don't know if he realized that his mic was on or what, but when he reached for the ground, he truly went (laughs) 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 into the mic super loud. Uh, It was great. Love Usher. I am going to go into my next song, which is Cameron featuring Jewel Santana, Freaky (laughs) Zoya, Hey Ma which I still love. Um, It's the second single off of Cameron's first album, Come Home With Me. And it samples, it was produced by DR Period and Mafia Boy, and it samples Easy by the Commodores, um, which I still remember when I figured that out and had this like audible, oh, moment um, in my car. And it made it to number three on the Billboard Hot 100. And it's still quite an un- anthem for the under 21 set looking to get it on with older women. Um, I went between this song, went back and forth between this song and Oh Boy. And like, I still love Oh Boy, but Hey Ma just has such a good, I mean, the sampling is good. The beat's good. I just, I still love it. And the other th- reason I love the song is because Cameron may be from New York, but Hey Ma's music video, which I totally forgotten about, but until I watched it to do research, Uh, takes place at a club in D.C. and was everywhere in D.C. when it came out. And he continued to have weird ties to the area despite very much being from New York uh, because two years later, he was leaving a club in D.C. after playing at Howard University the night before, was stopped at a red light, and a guy threatened him to give up his Lamborghini, which he resisted. And then later, he was shot by a gunman who was also (gasps) in the car. And when he got shot, he was still able to drive going on the wrong way in the streets and flashing his lights until a fan of his drove him to Howard University Hospital, but like straight up basically got himself to the hospital. And they drove off. And in Cameron's statement leaving the hospital, he said he didn't know who shot him. and But he had the most epic quote, which is, quote, I got shot three times and my album comes out November 22nd. <laughs> it was a sloppy job on their part. They didn't get anything. I still got my car and jewelry. <laughs> Um, and then he later wow. that he thought it was people from Rockefeller because he thought he saw the Rockefeller diamond hand signal because he had beef with Rockefeller. He started on the label, released most of his first albums on there, uh, but had a lot of disagreements with Jay-Z. Um, but that is Hey Ma. Um, it's still a banger. Uh, still very much enjoy it. Still no, surprisingly, many of the lyrics as I very poorly wrapped them to my boyfriend the other day where he was. Oh, just- boy. Oh, boy. What did I get myself into? <laughs> well, at least it was just a Jefferson and not like at karaoke or something. Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, another song I would not attempt at karaoke is the Toxicity at, by System of a Down. The titular single from the titular album, Toxicity, uh, the album was System of a Down's most chart successful album, topping the Billboard 200, although the single wouldn't be released until January of 2002, months after the album's September 2001 release, a month in a year where historically nothing happened. The most distinct and slightly unsettling thing about the song isn't Serge Tankian sing shouting disorder disorder at you. It's that the song is primarily in triple meter, alternating between 6-4 time, 12-8 time, and 4-4 time. 
All of the members of the Armenian American new metal band are credited as writers on the song, as well as Rick Rubin as one of the three producers, Serge being another one. Serge Tankian, by the way. The single would chart at the top 10 of the alternative rock charts and 70 in the Hot 100. It's, I, System of a Down, I don't, they haven't really released anything in a really, really long time, but I think this album and this song still remain kind of the most known thing about them. And because of their, how popular they were when I was in middle and high school, I wanted to add them in because although I wasn't always the biggest fan of System of a Down, I definitely really loved Toxicity, the album as a whole. And I still think it really kind of like holds up uh, even now. And yeah, System of a Down, great new metal band. No, they were great. I mean, that talk about, yeah, karaoke songs that are very hard to attempt. Toxicity, Chop Suey, like anyone who does that and pulls it off, I will buy a beer for. And right. That, people it, always try and it's not good. It's not good. It's really never good. Um, well, I'm going to go into out of left field, Beyonce and Jay-Z's 03 Bonnie and Clyde. Which- um, well, maybe in the scheme of like your list, like it kind of makes sense. Like, yes, yeah, system of a, like take the system of a down out of it. Well, you went from Cameron to Jay-Z and Beyonce and like that sure. to me tracks. Sure. I mean, it, it, it made sense in my notes because of the beef that Cameron had with Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Um, this song was basically the coming out of Bay and Jay, um, really kind of the first time they really introduced themselves as a couple. I mean, I they were they were open about it so, somewhat then and then really doubled down on it when uh, Beyonce released uh, Dangerously in Love. But it was this song was released on October 10th, 2002 and was the lead single from Jay-Z's album The Blueprint 2, The Gift and the Curse. According to Wikipedia, um, there were a lot of songwriters on this song. It was composed by hmm. Jay-Z and Kanye West, Prince, Tupac Shakur, Daryl Harper, Ricky Rouse, and Tyrone Rice. And Tupac gets the writer credit because it samples the song Me and My Girlfriend that he released in 1996. Ah. The single reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming Jay-Z's second top 10 single and Beyonce's first as a solo artist. So it's kind of interesting because I I picked two songs that are kind of Destiny's Child members' like first hit songs on their own. Um, mm-hmm. The song was met with some controversy because – Tony Braxton claimed Jay-Z and Kanye stole the idea to sample the Tupac song from her 2002 song, Me and My Boyfriend. And in response, Rockefeller CEO Damon Dash basically released a statement saying that it was a complete fluke. And Kanye backed him up, stating that everyone has heard the song uh, by Tupac. And basically, he was like, I don't know what to tell you, lady. Um <laughs> The accompanying music video was directed by Chris Robinson, features Jay-Z and Beyonce playing modern version of Bonnie and Clyde, um, was nominated for Best Hip Hop Video at the 2003 MTV Video Music Awards, and I saw them perform it live together during their co-headlining on the run tour. That was like, I don't know, 10 years ago at this point, but that was a great show. I had a grand old time going with my friend Susanna. Yeah, they played it when Jay-Z played Coachella. Oh, yeah. They didn't do the whole thing, but she came out and sang a, a verse or two. That was that was fun. And she also rapped one of Jay-Z's songs, which was also fun to watch. So it was a preview of Baychella, something I did not get to attend, but would have liked to. Although I still feel like I'm by and large too old for Coachella now. Who needs to stand for that long? Not me. Mm-mm. Well, you know. 
Maybe this does lead in nicely from Bonnie and Clyde. Unclear, but I can tell you one thing. Those two songs, the song that you just mentioned and the one I'm about to talk about were on the same mixtape for me, Party Hard by Andrew WK. Because when it's time to party, we will party hard, party hard. And who are we to argue with that simple statement? Is Party Hard a good song? I'm not objective enough to say for sure, but does it deliver on its promise to get you hype? Hell yeah, brother. I fucking love this song. And for a long time, my friend's dad, whenever he drop us off or pick us up from somewhere he'd blast this song on loop he just like was very very into it counterpoint we will later talk about amber three by 311 which is another song that he absolutely loathed and did not understand its point or purpose or why anyone would ever want to listen to it so party hard was first released as a single in 2001 and it included on his and it was included on his debut album i get wet It did really well on European charts, reaching number 19 in the UK, but it wasn't until a promo single that was sent to a U.S. radio station in 2002 did the song actually take off. The song might not have any significant U.S. chart positions, but it's been featured in a bunch of movies, commercials, video games, and by several professional sports teams, which very perplexing, like the philly penguins i believe which are like a hockey team they their fans started to started a petition to use it as their like official song was it the flyers or the pittsburgh penguins pittsburgh penguins because like pittsburgh and philadelphia mixed up all the time sorry to both cities no 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 you're no not a problem i just wanted to make sure I know. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. It was unclear whether or not they actually got the motion to pass, but they weren't the only team mentioned as having played Party Hard as either like a touchdown song or like a victory song. I can't really say that Andrew WK had any big hits after this. So this very well may be our one one hit wonder of the list. But then, you know, we talked about the hive. So like maybe two. So we have two one hit wonders on this list. I would say that. And the thing with Andrew WK, I got a candid to him. He milked that song for 20 plus years. He still milks that song. He's done motivational speaking. He's done like all sorts of, he's written a book about partying hard, I think. Like I got a hand it to him. Responsibly, you know, he's yes. very into partying responsibly and yes, using yes. party as a sort of adjective to describe all facets of life. And, you know, most importantly, he's the guy that got engaged to Kat Denning recently. <laughs> And I got to say, his hair is still great and has always been long. And thank God, I rewatched the Party Hard music video. And he has this really unfortunate, like, chin strappy thing going on, which he no longer has. So he arguably looks better now than he did 20 years ago, which is just a phenomenon for men that just makes life that much more unfair in small and weird ways. Well, good for Andrew WK. Um, I hope he lives another 20 years off this one song. (laughs) I'm going to go into a very different song, a uh, very different white dude, and that is uh, <laughs> No Such Thing by John Mayer. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so funny because when I was listening to this playlist, I skipped that song. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like not a banger, but like for me, it meant a lot on a personal level. And so right. I thought it's it a would personal be a banger. Which, it's a personal. You know, not like that. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Uh, so this was John Mayer's debut single and the first from his major label debut, Room for Squares. It was released in February of 2002. Mayer co-wrote this with Clay Cook, who was his co-writer and collaborator for many of John Mayer's early musical career songs on the first two albums. Uh, the two of them dropped out of Berkeley College of Music together because they had formed a music duo and decided to move to Atlanta, Georgia. They wrote the song in about a week during 19, in 1998 in Duluth, Georgia. And it's semi-autobiographical about a recent high school graduate who's basically telling kids at the high school to forge their own paths, not listen to their authority figures, who tell them to stay on the path, uh, to go to college, get a job, etc., um, and that they should follow their passions instead. And this will come to bite John Mayer in the ass because he requested permission to film the song's music video at Fairfield Ward High School, where he went to high school, and the administration denied him as a fuck you to his lyrics that basically took down all of them but vh1 and this is where i get into vh1 chose the video for its inside track promotion remember that uh where they highlighted (laughs) up and coming artists and i'm pretty sure like keen and sarah borellis and corinne bailey ray a lot of these artists in like the early to mid 2000s were featured on this think it katie tunstall was another person um Mm -hmm. The song peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 and became his highest charting song until he released Say in 2007. And my personal anecdote is that I was a very big John Mayer fan for a long time. I even saw him in concert almost a decade ago. Actually, at this point, uh, I can say it was over a decade ago. I went to college with his cousin and he upgraded my cousin and me to 10th row seats. So shout out to that guy. Hmm. Um Nowadays, I think John Mayer is very talented, but let's be real. He's kind of a douche. And the stuff he did to Jessica Simpson and said about her is not cool. He also said a bunch of other stuff at one point that was not cool either. He seems to be doing okay with his sad rock stuff. And like, again, I can't deny he's a very talented guitarist and songwriter. But on a personal note, he kind of sucks. Would you even go as far as to say that he is the best guitarist of our generation, like some people we know have said in the past? (laughs) I wouldn't, one, no, but two, he's also, I don't even know if he's like, is he a millennial? I feel like he's a bit older, like he might be on the cusp. He's Gen X, but. He's like, that's right at the cusp. Yeah, I mean, I, I had Continuum for quite some time, you know, I can't say that. I don't relate to your struggle with, you know, getting sucked in by his floppy hair and his acoustic guitar, but we've grown and mature and we're women in STEM and we don't need his shit anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, onto something less sad rock and more like just straight up fucking cool. My last pick is Gossip Folks by Missy Elliott. Gossip Folks is the second single off of Under Construction, and it was released in December of 2002, featuring the iconic mashup of Ludacris and Timbaland. All three are credited as writers, but Missy and Timbaland are the sole or are the only two credited for producing. Gossip Folks samples Double Dutch Bus by Frankie Smith and addresses various rumors slash gossip about Missy that was going around at the time about her weight, her relationship status, her sexual orientation, etc., Gossip Folks wouldn't be as successful as her other single, Work It, but it did peak at number eight on the Hot 100 and was number one on the dance chart, which is a great segue as to why I picked Gossip Folk over her other huge hit that year. The music video for me specifically, it's the amount of high energy choreography and 
I mean, I how can you forget Missy in that mauve Adidas tracksuit that mm-hmm, I wanted so mm-hmm, bad for some mm-hmm. reason? It's just more distinct in my mind. And look, I really do love Ludacris's verse. And also his whole outfit is hilarious. His gator boots are great. He's like the principal slash pimp of this school. I really do enjoy everything about this music video that was directed by a longtime Missy collaborator, Dave Myers. And it takes place all over this middle school that looks like it's from fame. I mean, I'm joking, but basically as soon as Missy starts, as soon as Missy shows up and starts to address the gossip going on about her, we start dancing and we don't stop till DVD commentary. This is one of the Allison Stoner videos, right? Yes, it's the second one. So she was in work at first, but it's her and there are two other little girls that are dancing with her. And they're actually like a couple of kids. Honestly, the kind of like freestyle dancing that happens in the cafeteria looks like every contemporary like TikTok music video that's in or TikTok dance video that's like in a professional studio where like people are standing around and you just have like a a crew roll up to the middle and I mean it looks the aesthetic is so similar like watching this music video kind of reminded me of how her how all of all of Missy's music videos have like changed music videos music and even just like choreography aesthetics forever and that so many people like emulate it even still now whether they realize it or not because it's been just so ingrained at this point but what's also really notable about the gossip folks video is that it ends on a mural of Aaliyah jam master j of, of the dmc or sorry jam master j from run dmc plus dmc of run dmc makes a cameo as the bus driver and lisa left eye lopez who had all passed away that same year so I didn't really want to end on a downer note, but I unfortunately do because that's the way the music video ends. But it seems more joyous because it's a mural that people are working on throughout the music video. And it's kind of like the only cutaway that we get because we mostly just stay within the school and do sort of like different school tropes. And because of the double Dutch bus sampling, there's plenty of fun double Dutch tricks that are going on in the background, which is a theme throughout all of Missy's videos because she had a music video for I forget which single recently where girls are doing double dutch with their hair, which was really fun. Always a treat. I mean, her and Luda, like, it's like a pairing that makes so much sense because, like, as Billboard said, they were two of, like, the more boundary-pushing artists at the time, especially with her music videos. Like, um, Move Bitch was on this short list as well. I really wanted to do it. But he, I mean, he's the one that had, like, the giant like smash them up whole cans that was like really funny i mean it wasn't yeah. for move bitch but um it was for rollout but still he was doing Ludacris was doing like really interesting stuff that was on par with missy elliott so like the two of them coming together really made all the sense in the world and now he's I, in fast and furious movies making great money um yeah no he's doing great I mean, it's interesting that Luda is on this 2002 list, but so is there. I think there are a couple of Ja Rule songs. Ultimately, there are two. Yeah. Yeah. Who Luda would ultimately basically replace on the franchise because Ja Rule was not happy with the money they were offering him for the sequel. Uh, which, like, I mean, Luda is, he is laughing all the way to the bank now. Right. Whereas Ja Rule is laughing all the way to court over the fire festival. <laughs> So I'm going to end uh, this, or, or at least our top sevens, on a on a note, you know, that I think you'll you'll love, Margot. Maybe you'll hate me for. Um, you know, we've been recording for a while. Would you say that your palms are sweaty and your knees are weak? No, oh God, <laughs> your arms are heavy. Um, <laughs> I'm so triggered right now. <laughs> 
I'm, of course, talking about Lose Yourself by Eminem. <laughs> which I was... feel like, unfortunately, you really can't talk about 2002 without mentioning the song. I'm just glad that you're taking the hit and not me. I listen. For one part of my life, when I was on the swim team for about two months, I'd have to get up <laughs> at fucking 430 in the morning every day. And God oh, bless my mom brutal. for helping me out there. Uh, and, uh, my friend's older brother would come to my house and pick me up. And that song was on the radio nonstop. And it was like a <laughs> pump up jam. Like I was the slowest person on the, sl- the swim team, but it was great. Um, it was released in October of 2002. It was the lead single off the eight mile soundtrack, the semi autobiographical film starring Eminem, Brittany Murphy, and despite the lyrics saying otherwise, Mackay Pfeiffer. The song was composed and produced by Eminem, Jeff Bass, who is known for being one half of the production duo Bass Brothers and a longtime Eminem contributor, and Louis Risto. The song is his most successful track of all time. It became Eminem's first Billboard Hot 100. Number one single remained there for 12 consecutive weeks and was at the top of the charts in 19 other countries. It would win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, making it the first hip-hop song to receive that award, and also won the Grammy Award for Best Rap Song and Rap Solo Performance. In 2004, it was one of only three hip-hop songs from the 21st century to be included on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, which feels kind of racist and weird, and hopefully, I think, Rolling Stone has made that change in their revised version of that list. And it was actually just recently performed, as you may remember, during the halftime show for the Super Bowl with with Eminem and Anderson Pock. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot we did that. And that is all I have to say about Lose Yourself. Uh, do you want to get into our four honorable mentions that we both love? Oh, yeah. Well, we've got Amber by 311. Oh, my God. I mean, so my – I have to – I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the song. Again, is it a good song? I don't know. I don't have perspective. <laughs> I'm. I am incapable. I feel like I've – always heard this song. This song was playing when I was born. It was playing while I was being raised and it'll play when I die. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just always been on in the background, but I also have a soft spot for 311 because they recorded this album at a studio that was next door to our middle school. I don't know. It's Burbank. It's weird. I know it's, it's forgive me for having a strange childhood. Anyway, when we would play basketball after school, they're, they also had a basketball court that butted up to our field. And so we saw them from afar. And God bless my my old friend Liz, who was like, we should go talk to them. And we they went and talked to them. And they signed autographs. And they were super nice. And they were just really chill dudes. And it all happened, <laughs> yeah, very quickly. But I have, I have a soft spot for 311, even though this song makes no sense. I But I also feel like in some ways they were ahead of their time since now we have, you know, those like aura photos. So like your your energy can be amber technically, right? I, it's not that I've bad. I've gotten aura photographed. Like I've actually done those. Are you so. amber? No, sadly I was red. Um, actually, no, no, no. That's it's not true. Amber-ish? I've, I've no? done two of them. I've got a red one and then I have a yellow one, yellow orange, which – that technically could be Amber. So maybe back in 2017 or 2018, you could truly say Amber was the color of my energy. Incredible. <laughs> I love this song. And I was I went through a 311 phase because I there was a guy in <laughs> high school that I thought was cute. And he was into 311. I think it was. Oh, of, no. It was a part of his like uh, AIM screen name. And um, <laughs> I know. But like, 
You know, I was re-listening to them last night and I got to say, Amber is still fun. I still love All Mixed Up. It just, but All Mixed Up for whatever reason makes me think of like an MTV undressed episode, you know, like that's what you hear as they're like, you know, panning in on a college dorm where this couple's about to have sex for the first time. Like, man, MTV undressed. I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show, but iconic. Um, Anywho, uh, I think we can go into when we're talking about kind of sunny amber. I feel like it's it's time for us to go into Soak Up the Sun by our girl Cheryl Crow. Yeah, I can't say. So I know. So I do know objectively that this is a good, extremely catchy song, but I really don't like this song because it was it's so overplayed. I mean, that's another CVS banger like, oh, sure. The, the, you know, top 100 on the billboard charts and also constantly playing in radios, grocery stores, whatever to CVS pipeline is, you know, strong with this song. But I know it's like her. a big comeback single for her and I'm glad that it happened, but it's not my favorite, but it is like a, it is a staple of summer songs, whether I like it or not. You know what I mean? Like I can recognize something as being formative. It just reminds me of sitting in traffic going to the beach. So maybe that's where it kind of comes from. Very similar feelings to you. And I will add that one time um, I was on a Slack channel at a job where people would post weird uh, out-of-office replies or, like, weird bad responses <laughs> to emails they sent out. And one gentleman put down in his vacation responder that he uh, was not going to respond to your email because, like the Cheryl Crow song, he was busy soaking up the sun. And I say to this man, thank you. I don't know who you are or where you are, but I still remember you months later. Let's- yeah, that's, that's tough stuff. Well, I mean – from soaking up the sun to soaking up with the sun on a yacht, Jenny from yeah. the block, Halo, yeah. especially because I feel like the song has a new, as we discussed via text, a newfound importance now in the Benefer era that we are currently in. Oh, and especially absolutely. because they fully recreated that yacht scene in real life like last year. I mean, they don't even need the, they don't need an agent. They don't need publicists. They are doing the work themselves. They, I mean, it's true. I mean, the fact that they have all of us, it went from us not rooting for them some 11, 12 years ago to us rooting for them now. I, it's just, what a turnaround. I think you mean 20 years ago. Like, thanks to oh, Ben God. and Jen 2.0, we oh, can man. now so live in 2002 with them because, I mean, Ben's back to like wearing flannel and JLo's back to like doing the best of looks from 2002. So I really do feel like thank you for giving us this time machine to a less complicated time. Thank you. Doing the By work getting for back us. together. We really appreciate it. Cannot wait for that wedding. Um, also, can't wait for that Netflix doc. I remember you texting yeah. me about it. What a good trailer. Like, so looking forward to it. What a treat. I, um, I think it's coming out at some point this month. Yeah. And we'll definitely be talking about it on the Patreon if you want to join the Patreon and hear our thoughts on Halftime, the JLo doc on Netflix coming, I don't know, June something. We're not, this is not an ad. So I don't have to know all those details. Um. <laughs> On the subject of former halftime uh, uh, musicians, artists, what have you, uh, No Doubt has also, or at least Gwen Stefani's performed at the halftime show. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was No Doubt, but at least Gwen Stefani did. Uh, We're going to talk about Hella Good by No Doubt, which is weird because it is a, for being a very Northern California 
phrase, it is being performed by a very Southern California band, um, which I didn't learn until I moved out here. I had no idea as your resident East Coast person. I learned this when I moved to the Bay Area. Yeah, this song was my first introduction to Hella. I Someone had explained to me that it was a Bay Area slang term. And it didn't really make sense until that Super Sweet 16 where the there was a girl in San Francisco doing her Super Sweet 16 and she wanted Keek the Sneak to be her musical guest, which <laughs> in retrospect is a truly wild request from a 16-year-old. And if I were her parents, to be like, absolutely not. You will not have like a rapper who smokes weed on stage at your fucking Sweet 16. Are you out of your mind? Anyway. Um, and anyway, when she got upset with her parents, when they were like, I don't know, not putting it together faster, she was like, I'm hella annoyed with you guys. And that like all clicked for me. I was like, oh, I get it. But hella good. This whole album was what I thought was a departure until somebody told me that no doubt started out as a ska band. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was kind of a return. It was definitely an influence. It was totally a return. And it, but it was also, I mean, it's also the beginning of like Gwen Stefani cultural appropriation, right? Because they have like some dance hall songs on this record. A lot of soca, dance Mm -hmm. hall. Yeah. It was, yes. Yeah. And I would say about this one, it was definitely more of an influence of, um, of the heavy dance hall reggae versus like their OG stuff was a lot more uh, ska heavy, but yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Really leaning into the like pressure drop of it all. Like not necessarily ska, like, but we're going like full blown Z. Like we want to do reggae now, but a little ska. I just remembered that there, that song on that album underneath it all samples the Pixies. Where is my mind? I like, just remembered that I knew that at one point and I totally forgotten until now. Anyway, that album's fun. I mean, it's just, I still am a um, tragic kingdom girl through and through. So yeah, I I think with no doubt it was, I don't want to say diminishing returns, but when you have such a high, high as your debut, it, you know, even return from Saturn was a little, you know, ex-girlfriend's like a great song and like bathwater is a good song, but I uh, I don't know what else I really loved off of that album. And I would say after that, it just got kind of increasingly experimental and trying to recapture that sound as sure. evidenced by this album. That was good at the time, but, you know. We're not think, talking about it, you know, unless we're doing this podcast, right? Right. It's not – I don't think it's something that when you think of No Doubt, the first thing – the first single you think of is hella good. I highly doubt that. Um, I would hope. Well, I think that's really all we have to say today about the songs of 2002. Before we end, Margo, do you have any final thoughts? No apologies for my increasingly raspy voice. I do think that I've hit my my talking limit at this point. I, you're you're getting close to Natasha Leone here. Not really, though. I mean, that'd be great <laughs> I, if if I were. <laughs> well, I just watched that Snatch Game episode where Jinx did a, a pitch perfect impression oh, of Natasha did. Leone. She certainly so. did. She <laughs> certainly did. I watched that episode at a bar. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for listening to our delightful podcast. If you like what you heard, like Margot said earlier, you can join our old millennial cinematic universe on Patreon for $5 a month. And uh, we understand that inflation is a real thing. So if you cannot support us that way right now financially, it would be great if you could just leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, Before we end it, though, I want to thank you all. We want to thank you all for just being fantastic audience for uh, just 
continuing to listen to us every week um, as we go on rants about things that we and we hope you cared about 20 years ago. So thank you, <laughs> as always. Thank you for an, an incredible season. Every season, you guys manage to uh, outdo yourselves, and we really appreciate it. You can follow us on social media if you'd like to keep up with us in between seasons as we will maybe have a mini episode or Patreon preview here and there. Um, But we'll also be posting some fun stuff on our Instagram or Facebook, uh, which is at the old millennials pod. And individually, you can follow us at our Twitter accounts. I am at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Mark, she wrote. And until next season, we say bye-bye. Bye. See you next time. Season. <laughs> I was going to say summer, but it's, you know, that's Hags. not <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.